Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, we have our good, good friend, Brian Herta, co-owner of the pole winning car for the 104th Indianapolis 500, piloted by Marco Andretti. Brian, we're going to say thank you here, as always, to our good friends at the Justice Brothers, celebrating 75 years of participation at the Indy 500. Cooper Tires, who support the road to Indy, definitely love us some torontomotorsports.com a lot of fun colton heard a swag there and then also bell racing helmets usa let's just start off with a really basic thing brian before we get to our listener questions how you doing there mr sitting on the pole for the indy 500 <laughs> i'm doing great marco's sitting on the pole but i'm doing great and uh you know it's been it's been a great week it's been a great run-up uh you know all of practice Marco's been really strong. I, I don't think he was out of the top three on any day. And and really, you know when, when it's going well, when, when you can just kind of put those speeds up without putting a big effort into it. You know, we weren't – in years past, Marco sometimes has, you know, chased the toe and things. And this year, it just kind of came to him. And um, so we feel good right now, super proud of him. Uh, it, was a, it was a great effort on Sunday especially. And looking forward to uh, what this Sunday is going to bring. Let's talk about one other item, Brian, before we get into questions, because this is something you and I discussed a couple of days ago, just between ourselves. I haven't seen a lot of negativity or hatred pointed at Marco on social media since capturing the poll. That's a bit of a break from the norm. Uh, I realize that social media, quote, isn't real, right? It's just people saying whatever they want doesn't mean you have to digest it or let it weigh on you, but Marco's a guy who rarely finds a lot of warmth, positivity, or friendly folks if he looks on the good old tweeters or Instagrams or wherever else. Share with us. I'm not asking you to speak for Marco, but you see it. You know the effects that it can have. Tell us about this in general because, boy, it's just been nice for him to have a bit of a reprieve, I would say, in that regard the last couple of days. You know, I, th- I think that's what I'm most happy about for Marco because you're right. It's be- it's become kind of a an easy thing to to pile on Marco sometimes on on social media, and a lot of people do and have, and a lot of it's not been fair. Um, you know, he's had ups and downs, and I think he would readily admit that. But so have many other drivers and every but human being reason, on the planet. Yes, <laughs> right. But he's he's he draws a lot more negativity around it. I'm not sure why that is. I, I think maybe because the expectation that comes with the last name he has. But I've, I've really enjoyed working with him. I can tell you, you know, a lot of the things you hear, people question his, uh, his focus, his dedication, his desire. None of those things are real. And I think this has been a great thing for me to watch for Marco to to maybe put some of those criticisms to bed because what he did on Sunday in really tough conditions, you know, you, people could see it on TV. They could see the car moving. They could see that fourth lap, how hard he had to fight it to stay with it and, and you know, bring that thing home. I think it was great. And the biggest thing was how popular it's been inside the paddock. And I think that's been a surprise to Marco. His fellow drivers, you know, it's just he's really well-liked within the IndyCar community. And I think everybody's, you know, knows he's been, he's been kicked a lot, 
on social media at times. And I think that's why everybody was so happy to see this great redemption story for him. And, and that's why I'm, you know, so happy because he deserves it. I said that on the radio right after he finished his run. He really does deserve this. Amen to that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of folks question his heart. And that's the thing I don't fully get because he probably makes a lot more money in his other businesses. So if he just simply wanted to go do things and not get flack constantly and have a wonderful income, IndyCar racing would not be the place where that was done. So yeah, to your point, hopefully we can just celebrate Marco for who he is. And the fact that he is so loved from the paddock, maybe that's another great thing to come out of this past weekend too, Brian. Maybe folks will yeah, understand absolutely. like, oh, uh, maybe I don't need to pile on because piling on is just the, the lamest thing. Let's go to, uh, we're going to go to our man, Lance Snyder. He is my minister of mirth for all my podcasts. He always sends in great stuff. Brian, <laughs> he says, Brian, when did you realize you had the speed or did you realize all along that you were right where you needed to be? So good, good question. Cause it's not like Marco came out of nowhere on Saturday or Sunday. Do you guys know coming off the trailer, it was going to be this good. Indy's Indy's special. And one of, one of the most special things is that first run. When you first unload, you first go out to pit lane, and you make that first run because you get you get a pretty good idea of where you're at car speed wise, and certainly in qualifying, that's you know that's ninety percent of the battle. And we knew we knew very early in the week that the car wanted to go, and that's that's great, you know. And that's a that's a testament to the Andretti Autosport guys, the shop, everybody who's built the car, all the time they spend with it, between wind tunnel and body fit and and chassis dyno and gearbox dyno and you name it they they just really spend the time to prep it upright rigs the, the amount of work that goes into these cars for the indianapolis 500 is you know unlike any other race we go to so we knew pretty early on that the car was fast uh, but that's only the first piece of it then right you have to stay with the track you have to follow the conditions you have to tune it and then you have to get it all right when it matters on sunday and that's a big ask for anybody. So it was really uh, a great source of pride for all of us to have it come together the way it did. Let's go to, let's go to Brendan. This is from your perspective, Brian, has Marco taken a different approach to this year's Indy 500 or has the car just been that good? So we already spoke about the car being a rocket off the trailer Spoke with Marco a little bit about this on Sunday, I believe, his his mindset, but that's coming from inside the person. Have you observed something externally about Marco, the way he's walking, talking, thinking, maybe different than past 500s? Um, I, I think there's a, there's a calm that comes with knowing you have a good car, a sense of confidence that comes with that, and I think Marco's really fed off of that this month. And he's done a good job of right understanding what the opportunity he had this month because you don't you don't every year uh, you know sometimes you show up and okay this one's going to be a grind and you and you just keep working through it but this year you know was a, we knew right away it was going to be a good year for us we had a good car and I think you know rather than let that create anxiety he let it create confidence and calm and I think that's carried through the whole week I think this has probably been the least drama we've ever had. It's been really sort of an easy month so far. I love it. 
Let's go to uh, Kyle Donnelly. Says Brian, channeling my inner Wolfgang Monser. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with the famed German reporter, Mr. Two Questions. Mr. Uh, Two Questions, I am. Uh, Wolfgang is the best. Uh, um, He says, what's the inspiration for that calm, smooth as silk radio voice of yours? And I love that Kyle spotted this, Brian, because I thought the same thing. Whether it's give and he mentions whether it's giving Rossi the clutch and coast, or you on Sunday with your weight jacker and other notes, it's like the nicest voice from heaven, just encouraging. Is this anything? Is this something you put any effort into in the tone of your voice, or is that just natural, Brian Hurd of flying across radio waves? Uh, well, first let me say thank you because that's very very nice of him to say. And it is it is very purposeful. Uh, I guess when I was driving, I always reacted well to to really calm, steady voices on the other end of the radio. And I had I had some great ones. You know, going back, Scott Remke was awesome on the radio. Um, a lot of guys that I worked with on the radio, George Clotes was was on my radio. It was great. Uh, Kyle <clears throat> Moyer. So I had a chance to kind of experience that from the other side. So. I try to be that for the driver. I try to be, no matter how crazy things are going, or you know, if the driver's upset and needs to blow off steam or or yell or whatever it is, I try not to react to that. I try and be the same calm voice on the other other side. And I I do think a lot about the words I'm going to use ahead of time and and kind of is purposeful in in how I'm trying to phrase things. So there is some method to the madness, you know, for. For Indy, it was just trying to be routine and do the same thing every single lap. And, you know, the weight jacker comment was, right, my way of just trying to remind him or reinforce, use the tools, use the weight jacker, uh, keep chasing the track. And, and I just, I did it in a way where I tried to hit it the same point coming off the corner every straight, every lap, so that it becomes kind of rhythmic and it becomes part of what you're doing out there instead of, you know, jumping in in the middle of a corner uh, or disrupting him in some way or saying something uh, that he wasn't expecting. We did that through all our qualifying practice runs, too. So so by the time we get to the actual qualifying run, it's it's the norm. It just seems like this is just how we practiced. I love the rhythmic part. And, yeah, we definitely have meditation herda coming over the radio waves. You're good enough. <laughs> You're smart you know, enough. It's funny. It's nice he says that because I hate my radio voice. I think I think it sounds a little <laughs> grating on the radio. I don't like it, but I'm glad I'm glad he does. So thank you for that. No, for real. You might you know whenever you decide you you're, you want to hang up the old uh, headset, folks might be trying to bring you back. Hey, could you just bring that voice to our driver and calm him down? Uh, that's uh, that's great. Well, we again we got a lot of great questions for you, Brian. But I know we have a limited amount of time, so uh, let me dive on to our good pal Andy Merrick, talking about someone who's bringing positivity uh, in everything that he does. Says Brian, I heard you once say uh, that Dan Weldon would encourage the team, saying, "Come on, boys, uh, you've got to make me look good." Um, yes, what work happens? say, 30 days before the Indy 500, uh, prepping a car to make a driver look good. Um, he's also curious what uh, what happens around Indy 500 time when it comes to you and memories and Dan, and does, uh, does Dan come with you each year when you turn up at the Speedway? Well, 
you know, I think I think I learned as much or more from Dan in 2011 as I did from any driver I've ever worked with, because you know, on paper that year we had no business winning that race, uh, but from the first day Dan showed up, he kept telling us we were going to win it, and it wasn't even it wasn't even like a question or we hope we win. He just kept telling us, we're going to win, and and come on, guys. And he pushed the guys. Even I remember we had a rain day, and he sat in the garage all day. He sat in the car and had the guys adjust the mirror a little bit, and can we shave the windscreen down here a little bit. There was no detail too small, and that rubbed off on our whole team. And literally, after a while, you start believing, holy crap, you know, we're here to win. We're here to win this thing. And he, he dragged us along, and he was – unique in that way he, you know his his positivity and his his infectious um energy was was one of the most amazing strengths and and yeah you believe i i think of him often when i'm there wow what a beautiful thing let's go to more of the race prep <clears throat> carb day goals type stuff pal jordan darwin asks brian what are you doing this week to help prepare the 98 team for the 500 uh, also, what additional measures have been put in place after the 2019 500, where Marco had a pretty rough day and fell backwards quickly uh, once the green flag waved? So it's, uh, the second question there, really interested, because it's not as if you did anything intentionally wrong last year to cause it, to then say, oh, well, hey, everybody, don't do that thing. Uh <laughs> But it is surely something that comes to mind, knowing that last year's 500 was a pretty brutal experience for everyone. It was, it was horrible, and especially because it was so important to Marco to try and do well. He had the Mario's 50th anniversary livery there. He wanted to do well so badly, and you know we and he took that one on the chin after the race. But we really let him down there. He was he wasn't really that happy with the car after uh, carb day and we we overreacted on the setup we made some pretty big changes going into the race and it was a disaster the car was right from the first lap was was not where we needed it to be unfortunately and it's easy after the fact to look back and say oh well you know we should have done we zigged when we should have zagged at the time you're making decisions based on the information you have and you're trying to make good ones but we didn't, and we didn't give him a great car, and he had a he had a just a torrid time out there. And then again, you know, people reacted were really really hard on Marco, but that one really wasn't wasn't his fault. So I'm glad that this year we're able to you know kind of come back, same track, same car, at a windscreen, and same guy, and lo and behold, he can do it. So that that that's a nice sort of. I guess bookends from last year. I'm going to look at it from the positive side. I love that. Let's see. Where shall we go next? Uh, let's go to Keith Swanson says, Brian, knowing that you have the speed and the track position in a race that is predicted, maybe have less natural passing. What do you focus on for carb day? That's a great question here, Brian. I know we're trying to tell the future, but we sure have heard a lot of comments from drivers saying, with the arrow differences caused by the arrow screen, 
the ability to pull right up and pass one another seems to have an added layer of difficulty this year. Is that something that shapes what you might be doing in race trim and carb day final prep? Well, we always talk about track position at Indy. And normally we talk about it in terms of, you know, track position for the final 50 laps, the final 20 laps of the race. But this one, because, you know, we've lost a little downforce with the aero screen. It blocks some of the air going to the rear wing and so forth. But we've also, with the extra temperature that we have in, in August, we have higher track temps, which takes grip away also from the cars. Uh, you know, we're just, it's a, it's a different Indianapolis 500 than a May one would be. And I think what we're seeing is those those factors combined are making the car slide a little more, a little harder to follow closely, which, you know, we're thinking may end up being a little harder to pass. So now instead of thinking in terms of last 20 laps, last 50 laps, and trying to position yourself with track position, now we're saying, geez, if you have track position at any point in the race, you have to do everything you can to hang on to it because you may not be able to get it back. Mm. It's going to be a uh, it's going to be a fascinating one for sure because it is so different than what we anticipated. Let's see, got one from here, one here from Trip Hazard asking about driver and such, and I think we kind of covered that off Trip. So uh, before we got to yours, so apologies there. Uh, here's a fun one from Bill Bailey. It says Brian, what's the secret? Is it just that any driver uh, isn't going to reach a full potential while driving for a parent? Uh, says maybe there's something to be gained, another level of responsibility and working for with other people. Uh, he's curious seeing your son obviously do well. And it's not as if, if he was driving for you, he would do poorly, but uh, he's just curious, you know, Hey, what's clicking with Marco now that he's uh, under your steerage and what seems to work with your son under someone else's uh, call on that timing stand. So, all right, parental advice. We need it. I don't know. I don't think there's any absolutes in any of that. You know, I think there's great examples, you know, going back to, you know, A.J. Foyt worked closely with his father for years in racing and had some of his greatest successes there. Um, Graham has certainly had, you know, most of his success in IndyCar driving for his father's team, even though he hasn't always done so. Um, Marco's just always been with Michael's team. So, you know, would he have driven differently or would he have developed differently within a different environment or on a different team? I think those are hard questions to answer because it's all all speculative. Um, the thing I know is he's got, you know, where he is, right? He's comfortable. He has a great support system. And, you know, this year we're giving him a great car and, and, and a great opportunity to go try and win the Indianapolis 500. So, you know, the focus is still to just try and achieve the best we can and and we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the other kind of what if scenarios this is this is our reality so so we try and always maximize that you know pivot off of that quickly here that's one of the hallmarks of how you do things brian as a team owner and I, i think that it deserves some recognition there are a trillion zillion variables in motor racing. We can so easily uh, wander down many, many paths. We can let our minds run amuck with all the variables. Your approach, as I've always seen it and appreciated it, has been, yeah, 
all those variables are out there. We could spend 24 hours a day chasing them, but we're not. We're going to focus on the things that we know are critical and do them incredibly well and not let our minds take us out of a successful situation. Is that a, a natural state for you, Brian, of boiling things down and concentrating on just a, a handful of key items in front of you to have team-wide success? Or is that something you had to shape and, and develop within yourself? I don't know, probably a combination of all of those things. I would say that maybe that's a little, it comes a little bit natural to me, but I think the longer I've done this, I've become maybe a little more aware of the approach and, and tried to foster that part of my personality, if it, as it were. But, you know, and, you know, I appreciate the nice things, but if, if I've done anything really right, it's not really that. I feel like I've been able to surround myself or become associated with other great people, and that tends to make you look good. That's the best thing you can do, I think, probably in anything, but certainly in racing. And, you know, aligning with Andretti Autosport when we did in 2016, you know, has been one of the smartest things I've done. The, you know, the group that Michael has there from Rob, Rob Edwards on down, you know, the engineering group, Eric Bretzman-led engineering group, um, you know, they have exceptional people there. And so, you know, I just try and feed off of that. And, and I think if I have, as I see my role, is I'm sort of a half a step back. I'm not based in Indianapolis. So I'm not sort of living in the forest with them. And so sometimes I can kind of take a little bit of a half step back and see, see things, you know, for what they are. And I think that's, that's probably a good role that I play there is just being able to kind of be sort of a, a, a second set of eyes and, Hey, you know, this is really cool, but have we thought about trying it this way? Uh, but, you know, the, the role I have is probably greatly overstated. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't really point out some of the great people that, that do make all these great things happen at Andretti Autosport. I recall in my earliest mid-20s when I realized that race engineering was really something I wanted to uh, learn more about, do more. I mean, I'd been trying to learn along the way, but really wanted to make a more concerted effort. And this, I, yeah, this was when I was working in Indy Lights with Genoa Racing. We had the great Canadian race engineer Burke Harrison uh, with us, and he, you know, championship with Paul Tracy and a bunch of other things. At least in the Indy Lights paddock, Burke was a bit of a legend. And so, in speaking with him about. Oh, you know, want to do the same, follow in your footsteps. We had Michael Cannon there as well, so two amazing people. Uh, but was just seeing them, the reverie that was held for them and wanting to be in that similar position, and Burke in the most polite Canadian way possible deflated that bubble, and it was a beautiful thing. He said, <clears throat> there have been more great race engineers made by great drivers than great drivers made by great race engineers. So just realize your success, whatever it is that you might be able to do that is regarded as good and quality and whatnot as a race engineer, it's probably going to be as a result of having a really great driver who flatters you. 
and makes you look better than you are. And then said, that's yeah. pretty much the career I've had. And I just said that, thank you. Uh, thank you for that alignment because yeah, uh, having worked for some fairly bad teams, I can absolutely confirm that nothing gets good when you are not around quality people. So, uh, amen. Yeah. And, and Burke in typically humble fashion would say that I just add to that, that, that greatness recognizes greatness and is drawn to it. And I think, you know, a great driver recognizes great skill in an engineer or in a manager or in a crew chief. And that's why you end up seeing these great people end up working together because they're drawn to each other. And it's, it's not an accident. It, it's, it's sort of the natural way of life in, in the paddock. Going to get to the last couple of questions here, Brian, and then say farewell, let you back to your day. This comes from Anthony Daniel. I love this one. He says, well, you've got a team with multiple team owners. And he says, without divulging state secrets, you have a car with multiple co-owners. How are decisions made? Who has final say? Uh, what's the relationship between you and the rest of the folks whose names are on the number 98 Honda entry? It's a great question. I realize it's not specific to when to pit or uh, which sponsor to consider and whatnot, but how does that dynamic work? Because in theory, with a lot of chefs uh, in the mix here, uh, I don't know. It could be a challenge if you let it be. It could, but you have to have you have to have great leadership, and that really starts with Michael. So at the end of the day, you know, he's the final say. But we'll talk about it. Marco at times has input in certain decisions. I have partners in my team that are sort of silent partners. You know, we talk about it. You know, bigger business decisions, uh, and and we try and come to a consensus. But the thing that has to work right is somebody ultimately has to be in charge. And in our partnership with Andretti, uh, that person is Michael Andretti. So ultimately, uh, if a decision needs to be made and, and we can't reach a consensus, then Michael's going to make that decision. And then we're going to get on board and support it 100%. And that's, that's how you have to do it. You can't, if you fight, if, if you argue, you're not going to end up in a better place. That's a pretty simple thing. All right, where are we going to go next? We got one. All right, got two questions here. I love these. First one from our pal Justin says, what did you end up doing with the old Brian Herta Autosport Rallycross cars? He says, is that something you would consider going back to someday? I don't know. Is that We got one sitting in your garage there at home. You take out and do donuts in the neighborhood there? I don't. Uh, so sold sold my last car to somebody in Sweden who is doing Swedish rallycross. As far as I know, the car is still there and maybe still racing, hopefully, like to think so. Um, so don't own any more rallycross assets, but, but loved it. It was, was a great sort of form of motorsport, something very different than anything else we've done. And so, yeah, in the right circumstance, absolutely would, would look at going back and doing that again. But right now, don't see that on the horizon for us well damn we're gonna close the show with our man todd hutchins says brian congratulations on the stellar start at indy this year it's awesome to see the number 98 up front mentions that the indy 500 
is being held on August 23rd this year. He says this is the birthday for himself, Todd Hutchins, and the late amazing drummer for The Who, Keith Moon. He says with your son, a drummer in a punk band, and your driver, Marco's love for rap music, who controls the radio? When the uh, if the three of you or two of you are on a taco run, it says more importantly, what is coming out of those speakers on that run? So, I mean, of all the things you're going to divulge ahead of Sunday's race, this might be the most important. Col- <clears throat> Colton's going to control the radio. It's been a long time since I've controlled the radio in my car when when anybody is in it with me. It's either Colton or it's my youngest eleven year old son. Uh, Marco used to be a big take over the radio guy, but I think less so. So I'm going to say uh, Colton's going to be the one that's going to plug in his aux cord and start start jamming some uh, some punk tunes. So I, I like it. He, he, he's gotten really into uh, really old-school punk, so stuff that I listened to in the 80s. So it's kind, of, it's kind of fun to experience that again with him. Any bands you can mention here? And if you did get control of the radio, what, uh, what bands or songs might we be hearing in the Brian Herta? experience you know he's he's pulled out some some great older stuff even things like the smiths that he's kind of stumbled across that were were great you know when i was listening but uh bands i'd forgotten about like the dickies uh things like that that you know he he just uh he's a great he's a great lover of music marshall and maybe maybe even to rival you uh even greater than my appreciation for it so so i i like being reintroduced to some old stuff that I, I remembered and had forgotten about the Smiths. I would have never have, I would have never have thought Colton would actually enjoy that. Cause it just seems a little too moody and crying in your cereal, um, with Morrissey there, but I love that again. It shows but Johnny, Johnny Mars guitar. Oh we yeah. About, right. Johnny Mars guitar balances it out without Johnny Mars guitar. The Smiths don't work. My wife, for some reason, whenever my wife and I get in our car to go to an appointment, some of them require half hour, 45 minutes of driving a couple times a week. We will put on, we have Sirius XM in the car. And so we'll listen to a variety of channels, old uh, new wave channel. And it seems like every time we drive, we get the cure. My wife likes the cure. I don't understand. To me, I'm just like, Here's Robert Smith again, crying into his cereal. Um, we'll get, and so I'll look at her and I'm like, come on, man. And she's like, I know they know when we drive because they put on the cure every time. And then <laughs> she, I loved echo and the bunny men and she can't stand them. And I guarantee you, Brian, it's like, they know it's like, there's some alert back at the Sirius XM headquarters, Jim Meyer from Meyer shank racing must get a prompt and hit some sort of big red button that says the Pruitts are driving <laughs> because the Smiths come on. Uh, I'm sorry, the cure followed by echo and the bunny men. So I look at my wife when the cure comes on and I'm like, come on, man. And she looks at me two minutes later when echo the bunny men, she's like, come on. Okay. Uh, wild horse has got it. Great. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny how the same stuff keeps rocking along. And then, uh, we'll skip through a variety of other things. We always get, stone temple pilots when we move over to uh the the more 90s alternative channel and she likes them and i just refer to them as the stone pimple toilets and try and change the channel so this might actually be a fun off-season segment driving with the herdas 
and we'll just see go. what comes up and what there we play. Go. That's a heck of a playlist. We could cover a lot of ground on that one. <laughs> Brian, you know I love you, man. I'm so happy for you in this. That's that's maybe the big takeaway that I have so far for this month at Indy. Positivity. You are a guy that spreads warmth and positivity, period. That's who you are. Marco is getting warmth and love and positivity. His rivals are cheering for him in a year that most of us would agree has sucked in terms of just normal life and all the bad things that have happened. Maybe that's the big gift we need to further recognize that so far in this compromised Indy 500, run a couple months late, shorter everything, fans can't be there, all the concessions that are made, boy, we actually have some really warm, loving, positive things that have been happening. It's a bit of a treasure, I'd say. Well, thank you, Marshall, and thanks for having me on. And I guess I'd just like to close by thanking everybody listening. You know, there's we've got a great, passionate fan base in IndyCar that, that we appreciate so much. And this year, more than ever, and it, it's been weird being out at Speedway without everybody out there. Uh, noticed it, especially qualifying, and I, I can't imagine what, you know, back home again in Indiana reverberating off those empty grandstands is going to feel like on Sunday, but it's definitely going to be weird. But we appreciate everybody so much, people tuning in, watching, you know, going online, following along as best they can, and, and we look forward to this all being over and us getting the band back together and, and doing this normally again sooner than later, I hope. Amen to that, Brother Herta. <laughs>